News. Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... It's Mon. Mon. Feeling like old times here, Lyle. It's been a while since <laughs> we've done radio together. It's been a minute or two. <laughs> Fantastic. What do you think? Oh, by the way, shout out this morning to all of those who are listening in Cole Cairn, New South Wales on 88.0. Inverell, New South Wales on 87.8 and Ginger, New South Wales on 88.0. So what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, well, the coolest thing happened to me. So as you probably know, because I go on about this enough, I, I've been um, I've been studying Korean for just over a year now. I still can't speak it because you have to start with learning the alphabet because obviously it's a completely different uh, lettering system. It's like <laughs> that, that chicken scratch you see in like um, when you go to Chinatown and nothing's in English. And uh, so I have to learn all that before I can even learn to like, you know, what a, what a word means. But at least it's phonetic. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun too. It's phonetic and it's fun. And uh, just I went into a shop and I asked the owner of the shop if she could do a special order and order something in for me. And so she handed me the order book and the pen and I realised that she was Korean. And I thought to myself... If I gave this a shot, could I write my own name in Korean? Because I didn't know that I could do it yet. And so your, I, your name, my own name. And so I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure I know all the letters in Korean. And so I, I was sitting there staring at the paper for ages, going, "Could I do it?" She's like looking at me like, "What are you doing?" And so I was like, "I'm just going to give it a go." And so I did it, and I got. It. And she looked at it, and she goes. Monica? Oh, oh, I was so happy. I was like, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> so don't ask me to do your name, Lyle, because it literally is, um, there's no letter L. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just handing Mon a pen and a piece of paper to write my name in Korean because I have Korean friends and I've asked them how my name is written in Korean in the past and they're like, we can't write your name. Yeah, yeah. There's no L. Yeah, it's true. Literally. They, they write it with an R. That says Monica. I just wrote it for you. Yeah, it's true. The R and the L are, are interchangeable, but it doesn't really make sense. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We are about to get into the quiz, followed by positively different news. Indeed. Today I'm going to do... I'm going to, I, I literally... Sh- Rifle through the, um, the quiz cards to try and find a nice hard one for you, Lyle. Uh, who am I? I was called Hananiah before my being, before my being given, before being given a new name. Do you know who it is? I do know who that is, actually. Yeah. <sighs> Rubbish. He got my first one again. <laughs> this really just is like old times. No, but you got you got into one of my favourite parts of the Bible. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, know, seriously. As soon as I started reading, I'm like, no, this is going to be easy for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at the answer. I thought, oh, yeah, I didn't look at the um, quiz clues. Hey, 0491064669, if you think you know who that is, uh, which Bible character that is, give us a text or a call and you can let us know. And um, if you get it right, you will be in for Friday's draw to win. I think it's a double set. It is the Jesus at the Helm thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle by the Bible Gallery Collection, a really beautiful illustration of Jesus at the helm of a boat in a storm with people uh, calmly clinging to him as he safely takes him through the storm. Beautiful picture. And then also, while you're doing the jigsaw puzzle, you can listen to the Great Controversy DVD by the Fountain View Academy Orchestra and Singers, which is a music DVD, um, some really beautiful music. Anyone who knows the Mountain View Academy Singers uh, will know that's a really great prize right there. You can get both of them if you can tell us 
Who was called Hananiah before being given a new name? Okay. You know the answer. Give us a call right now. Monica, let's have some positively different news this morning. Okay, Lyle. Uh, well, by the way, my news is also coming out of Asia. I just realised it's from Indonesia. Some Indonesian scientists have been uh, very um, busy uh, trying to solve one of the biggest landfill problems, aka nappies, diapers. Right? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of them, a lot of them get um, chucked into into landfill, and it takes at the moment they estimate about 150 years for a single diaper to decompose to break down, um, but. Uh, they're combining two issues and trying to solve them both at the same time. Uh, one, getting rid of landfill, uh, diaper landfill, and the other one, seeking to find sustainable solutions to low-cost housing in Indonesia. Do you have any idea? Wait, 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 wait. These two stories are connected yes, to each other somehow? Yes. Do you want to guess how? I am worried about this story. I'm just thinking, <laughs> okay, am I going to live in a house of uh, used diapers? That's exactly what it is. What? I was going to ask you, would you live in a house that had been made out of... Diapers, use diapers. They're called nappies in Australia, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know, I know, but uh, diapers is a fun word to say. <laughs> <laughs> so scientists in the world's third most populous nation, by the way, Indonesia, um, have discovered that used nappies can replace some of the sand in concrete mixes. Really? Yeah, so disposable nappies. So when, you know, if, if you have a baby, you, you, are, you have two options before you. Uh, washable nappies or disposable And so many nappies. parents that I know of before they have children are like, yeah, we're going to do the ecological yes, thing yep. and we're going to have washable nappies mm-hmm. and that lasts probably about three dirty nappies. Yep, yeah. And then, and then exactly. all those washable nappies, they get put on a shelf somewhere after they've been washed <laughs> and never touched again until 20 years later when the husband takes them out and uses them for grease rags. <laughs> Like you're speaking from a personal story. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen this happen on numerous occasions. I do have one friend who stuck it out. She, stuck was, it she out. was a real greenie and she stuck it out. Good but honor. her kids are now in their teens and she still speaks of the horror. <laughs> it's like seared into her emotion. <laughs> like she went through some stuff there. <laughs> and she, she said to me, you know what's love when you keep washing their dirty nappies over and over. Anyway, like, like you just said, most people do turn to disposable nappies and they are usually manufactured from wood pulp, cotton, viscose rayon and plastics such as polyester, polyethylene and polypropylene. So this mix of materials um, is actually can actually be quite useful for other stuff. Uh, but you know, because of their pretty disgusting purpose, the majority of them are disposed in landfills or they're taken care of by incineration. Um, so the scientists who, who figured this out said, currently the essential step into the recycling process for used diapers is to separate the plastic components from the organic fibers. It necessitates the execution of many complicated procedures, including collecting, crushing, sanitizing, and sorting the components. Uh, due to the difficulty involved in the process, only a few businesses are currently interested in recycling used diapers. Can't imagine why. Um, so it just sounds like it would not be economically viable that there wouldn't be a return on investment here. Yeah, I mean, I, sand is pretty abundant. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is the world running out of sand? Like, what is happening? But I think because they're trying to figure out how to how to like repurpose the diapers. Like, I think the bigger problem for them is getting rid of this like huge amount of diapers that take you know, so long to break down as opposed to us running out of sand. Although they probably are thinking that eventually we were on the sand, but I don't know how, I don't, I can't remember from geology in high school, how far down you can dig into the earth before. Like, is it just sand all the way down? I don't know. No, it goes to bedrock, right? Yeah. Can't you, can't you crush rocks into sand? Isn't that how it works? I can't yes. remember. 
You yeah, can do so, that. So at what point would we run out? I don't know. I, I feel like... <laughs> Hey, if there's a return on investment here, this is a fantastic idea. Yeah. And even if there isn't, it's probably worth doing just to solve the landfill problem. Yeah. So, you know, so if, it's, if it's a reasonable, right. it's a reasonable expense. So the School of Environmental Engineering at the University of Kikakoku in Japan, uh, they worked together with uh, the scientists in Indonesia. They prepared concrete and mortar samples by combining washed, dried and shredded disposable diaper waste with cement, sand, gravel and water. The samples were then cured for 28 days and they tested uh, six samples containing different portions of diaper waste to measure exactly how much pressure they could withstand without breaking. And then they calculated the maximum portion of sand that could be replaced with the disposable diapers in a range of building materials um, that would be needed to construct a house. And they did a floor plan of 387 square feet, which is 37 square metres, um, to comply with uh, Indonesian building standards. I've got, a little, uh, I've got a little diagram here. You can see the, they've made two columns, two concrete columns, mm-hmm. and um, they both contain diapers, but you can see uh, how much um, uh, pressure it can withstand. It's actually pretty impressive. Like if you told me this column that's holding up the roof contains used diapers... Nappies. Nappies. Oh, man, I, you would have been able to blow over the <laughs> So it can, it can replace up to 10% of the sand used uh, for concrete uh, to form columns and beams in a three-story house, basically. Uh, and then it can uh, the portion increases to 27% um, to make concrete and columns in a single-story house. And then 40% uh, for mortar in partition walls compared to 9% of the sand in mortar in uh, floors. So, yeah, obviously there's a few limitations. The biggest problem at the moment is that there's no cooperation or supply chains existing for the collection, washing and shredding of diapers for material purposes. And no one wants that job. So nobody's actually putting out so, – so you'd have another wheelie bin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose you would. That would have be, a fourth wheelie bin? That would be one way to do it. Oh, I forgot to put my wheelie bins out last night. Oh, thanks, Lyle. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, yeah. So they are, they are, they've, they've basically succeeded to do this. But the problem is that no one is linking that chain where yes. they go from from the baby to the laboratory because stuff needs to be done and no one's done it. Basically, so they need to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, do you know what? If someone's right keen, there's a huge business gap right there in collecting. And use nappies. Cleaning it up and. So you just need to go to. You just need to find out. You know, do some do some demographic studies. Find out which neighbourhoods have the most, uh, the youngest population, the most uh, yeah. newborn babies, because yep. there's going to be certain suburbs that are going to have more newborn babies than others. It's true. And just go there, set it up as a pilot program, buy a truck. Do you know what? It might be a dirty job, but I've looked into this before. Dirty jobs usually pay quite a bit. Yeah, but you know, you know, you think about your local garbo. Um, that's nothing like as dirty a job as it used to be. I remember, you know, it used to be uh, the two guys hanging off the back of the truck um, throwing garbage bags in, and, you know, that wasn't terrible. But these days you just drive the truck, push the lever, pull the lever. I don't know. Maybe there's a garbo out there that can call us and let us know how this actually works, but it seems to be a pretty fairly straightforward job where, yeah, you're going to be attacked by odours, but... That's about it. I think you get used to it after a while, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. And, and if I remember correctly, they, it's not it's not cheap money either. It's if you drive a garbage truck, and if or if you're driving a garbage truck right now, give oh, us a call. Yeah. Let us know. We'd yeah. love to know. And can you swing back to my place? Um, hey, <laughs> another tiny, quick piece of good news: shrimpers and crabbers, the people who catch shrimp, prawns, and crabs, are now instead of getting paid to catch the shrimp and prawn and crabs, are now getting paid to collect abandoned traps to save wildlife uh, from derelict fishing hazards. So cool, because how many times have you like been in the ocean? 
and you come across like some old, like a piece of an old cage. There's little traps that they build. Um, so this is happening in the Mississippi, uh, courtesy of the Mississippi Commercial Fisheries United, which is a non-for-profit fisherman's organisation, have decided to incentivize the cleanup of old traps and so far have collected over 3,000 traps in just a space of a year and a half. That's a lot of traps That's just laying around in the ocean. Yep, yeah. And so this is great. I, I support this kind of fishing, like fishing the junk back out of the ocean. Yes, and yeah, there's some really good community good. organisations out there that do that kind of thing. Amen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, Mon, let's have a, another story for our for our um Let's quiz have another clue for our quiz. Let me get this right. <laughs> Who am I? Azariah and Mishael were two of my friends. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Who was this character in the Bible? Azariah and Mishael were two of my friends. Get yourself that uh, jigsaw puzzle and music DVD gift set on Friday by getting yourself in. By the way, if you don't want the prize but you still want to play, that's fine. Just put a little asterisk next to your um, your guesses as you send them in, little star. And, of course, if you get it wrong, you are out for the day. Wait again until tomorrow. If you're not sure and you're still trying to figure out, you can wait until later in our morning show and uh, have a better chance of getting it right and getting in. You just need one chance in and, uh, and you could be the winner on Friday. Okay, so I did radio. When did I do? I did radio recently. Just sometime. last week. Just I last week, yeah. And I was yeah. talking about the violence in India, and that has just been increasing. For this is violence against Christians, and uh, news story coming through overnight: four hundred churches have been burned, seventy what? Christians killed, uh, and this is in Manipur province in India. And what happened was that there was over a thousand weapons and over ten thousand rounds of ammunition that were taken taken from two local uh, police stations, and a IRB battalion in Imphal. And the question that goes through my mind is this: Okay, you're going to go and steal guns and ammunition from the army. Yeah. You would think the army would defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well and truly. It seems that there is a lot of. Um, uh, turning a blind eye? Turning a blind eye going on here. Wow. That's disgusting. It is. And this is one of the things that, you know, violence in India under the current Prime Minister has just been off the scale. Uh, it's made India one of the most dangerous countries in the world to be a Christian and has resulted in, you know, massive amounts of deaths. Uh, you've got uh, over 1,700 homes that were burned. You've got 50,000 individuals who have left the state, as in refugees, to mm. other parts of mm-hmm. India. Um, you've got 397 churches that were burned, six Christian institutions, as in you know, schools, universities, etc., that have been burned to the ground. And, of course, that's resulted in the economic collapse of the region, Yeah, predictably. Yeah. You know, so these the, the crazy people shoot themselves in the foot because they're just going out after uh, Christians. And... The government, at best, the government has been turning a blind eye. Uh, At worst, of course, they've been actually quietly involved in all of this. Yeah, wow. And so, and and because this never existed in India before the current Prime Minister Narendra Modi, Mm. who arrived in Australia. Oh, okay. Yes, just arrived in Australia. And uh, um, our current Prime Minister. Uh, Anthony Albanese stated, I'm honoured to host Prime Minister 
Modi for an official visit to Australia after receiving an extremely warm welcome in India earlier this year. Australia and India share a commitment to to a stable, secure and prosperous India Indo-Pacific. Together we have an important role to play in supporting this vision. As friends and partners, the relationship between our countries has never been closer. I look forward to celebrating Australia's vibrant Indian community with Prime Minister Modi in Sydney. That's a little time. So my question is this. You know, back in the day when we had, you know, say, for instance, massive amounts of racism in South Africa Mm -hmm. and our our cricket team wouldn't even go to South Africa. That's right, yeah. You know, would, would the South African... Prime Minister have have received the same warm oh, welcome here in Australia yeah. if that had been the case. Absolutely not. So what is Anthony Albanese up to when he welcomes this guy like this who is perpetrating terrible things, terrible, terrible uh, um, religious persecution and infringement on you know religious liberty in his country? Why do we have... As he says, he is such a warm relationship. It's never been warmer than it is right now. Can I just ask, the, this, uh, this politician from India, has he been public about what faith he subscribes to? Oh, very much so. Okay. He's a nationalistic Hindu. Ah, okay. okay. Very, very strong. And he does not want Christianity in his country at all. He doesn't want Islam either. He's been after Islam as well. He's like, um, you know, a year or two ago... He basically stripped about two million Indians of their citizenship because he refused to give passports to somebody who anyone who was Muslim. How how are we giving this guy a warm welcome? Yeah, well, this is the question that's going through my mind. Is like, what on earth is going on here? That's yeah, please please answer these questions, uh, Mister Albanese. And you know, all right, he's here. Mm-hmm. You know, the prime the Indian prime minister is here in Australia. Now is the opportunity to raise these issues and say, what are you going to do about violence against, you know, religious violence in your country? Because he has the power to stop it. Previous administrations did not have this problem. He has this problem. He has the power to stop it. So what's he going to do about it? This is something that uh, Anthony Albanese needs to be raising in talks with Narendra Modi while he is here in Australia. I kind of feel like people... You know, back in the day, people used to protest stuff that really mattered, something like this, and now we're all busy protesting having separated gendered toilets and this kind of stuff, and we're like stuff that's just nonsense. And we're all busy being distracted by gender fluidity issues and protesting all that stuff. When something that actually needs yeah. to be protested people is being, being swept killed. under the rug and people isn't... People, people's houses happening. are being burned down. Right, yeah. And Ugh. nobody nobody turns Such ahead. Such a top doesn't It does not even get reported right, in the news. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yep. And there's plenty in the news like, oh, yeah, Narendra Modi's here, Prime Minister of Australia's here, isn't mm-hmm. this amazing, isn't mm-hmm. this wonderful, we're going to have such a great time with the whole Indian community in Sydney and rah, 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 and no word of what's actually going on in his, in his country and the absolutely repressive regime that he is running. We're all so distracted, yep. Yeah. Okay, moving to across the border to Pakistan. Oh, yeah. Uh, two teens there facing the death penalty. Oh, yeah. um, this is Zahid Sohail. Sorry, so it, no, sorry. It was perpetrated by uh, a local police officer named Zahid Sohal, um, who was found in the street beating two teenage boys, Adil, who is eighteen, and Simon Nad- Nadim Masi, who is fourteen. Uh, when the boy's father came out and confronted him, uh, and the local elders gathered around, 
uh, this particular local police officer said that they had committed blasphemy. Uh, so the local elders questioned him for a while. He wasn't able to substantiate his claims. And so he got mad with the local elders and walked off in a half and the boys went home. Um, but later that evening, the local police station raided the homes of these two teenagers and arrested them on charges of blasphemy. They alleged that Simon had called a puppy Muhammad Ali. That's after American boxer Cassius Clay. Mm-hmm. Well, Muhammad is also the name of, obviously, the founder of Islam, Ali, the name of his son-in-law. And so the claim was that this had been made. And it's been pointed out that no one in the street actually owns a dog. Oh, okay. So it's like, well, what puppy were they talking about? Yeah. Um, and if you're calling the puppy after a famous boxer. famous boxer, you know, that would probably in Australia be an appropriate name to yeah. name a boxer dog. Yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense. It's got nothing to do with Islam. Yeah. But anyway, um, these two guys have been uh, arrested on this basis claim. They're now facing the death penalty. What? And the uh, father of one of them uh, said that the allegations were completely baseless as uh, the police officer had made no, no mention of a puppy when he first raised the issue. No one in our street owns dogs. Neither was there a puppy in the street when the incident took place. Uh, the police officer cooked up a false accusation against our children after failing to convince the locals of his earlier allegation. Now, um, he also pointed out that his wife is a heart patient and has suffered two strokes. She's in hospital. And he, this has happened several days ago. He hasn't even been game to tell her yet. And you imagine if you were in hospital and somebody comes to you and is like, yeah, your son just got arrested, on, arrested for saying the wrong thing and he's now facing the death penalty. Imagine as being a mother. How would you deal with something yeah. like that? Um, there's at least 500 Christian families who live in the Corban Lines neighbourhood where this took place. And there's been no religious tension there. But it's been pointed out that this year so far there have been 57 cases of alleged blasphemy reported in Pakistan. Um, and a lot of this takes place as a result of one of the one of the local uh, retired justice, uh, Nazira Javad Iqbal, um, stated the blasphemy laws are, have been consist- consistently misused to settle personal disputes, persecute minority groups and incite mob violence and hatred. Uh, She said we demand prompt action and collective effort by the government to address these human rights violations. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to go to interview of the day. Before we do, Monica, another question for the quiz. Who am I? After 10 days of eating vegetables, I looked healthier than those who ate royal food. Mmm, royal food sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, it might not be such so good for you. I think we're about to talk to somebody about uh, yes, we what, are. what will be good for you and what might not be good for you. Yes, welcome to the show, Dr. Justin Jackson. It's so good to have you here. Yes, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here with you this morning. So, Dr. Justin, uh, you are a Christian doctor of internal medicine and infectious diseases, special uh, specialising in infectious diseases. And um, you have, welcome back to a new year with our theme, Gems for Life from Creation Week. And I was wondering, why did you choose this theme? Like, what was it that inspired you to choose Gems for Life from Creation Week? 
Well, firstly, I'm a really strong believer in the creation account as it reads literally in Genesis. As you look at the complexity of life, you really see unequivocal evidence of the designer. Not only the designer, but sheer brilliance in that design. And we also see love and beauty and other things. And if there was a designer that cared enough for his creation, then the creation is going to be healthy, isn't it? So we can we can glean the gems from from Creation Week. So the Creation Week provides um, a perfect blueprint, I guess you could say, uh, for health and well being. The way it should does it create like the way it should be? That's absolutely right. Yeah, the, it's it's the blueprint for our physical, emotional, and, and spiritual health because creation explains our origins. It also um, explains the way God intended our our health to be before sin um, and also the way in which we will live on the new earth, I think. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that part. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. As from our series from last year, um, a health gem is uh, buried in basically every phase of the creation account. So where are we starting this year? Well, I thought we should start at the at day one, at the beginning, and... Um, the passage there reads that God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. I I was here to focus on light, but then it struck me, why don't we talk about darkness? So the health gym for today is a little unusual. It's oh. it's the health gem of darkness. <laughs> okay, wow, you got my attention now. It's not exactly the first thing that comes to mind as a health gem, darkness. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's not just darkness at any time. It's, um, as the text says, light in the day and darkness for the night. Yeah, and I have, you know, I have noticed our nights are getting light, are getting lighter and the days are getting darker, which is basically the opposite of what God originally designed. Yeah, that's exactly right. From the creation account, our nights are supposed to be dark, but over the last 200 years, really, and um, I think that's been much more accelerated in the recent few years, mm. we're actually reversing all of the creation week. Um, wow. we're, we're turning it on its head um, in every aspect, from our diet to the air we breathe, um, but also to um, darkness no exception. And a recent study that just came out this year showed that the average night sky is getting brighter by almost 10% every year over the last decade. And, you know, that's that's pretty phenomenal. That means that if a child's born today and can see 250 stars in the sky, by the time they're 18, they'll only be able to see 100 of those stars left. Do you know what? I was just thinking about this the other night because... I remember being a kid in Pathfinders and you'd go on these camps out in the bush and you'd be up mm-hmm. and like look up at the night sky and see so many stars in the Milky Way and it was just it was just awe inspiring. And now as an adult, I feel like I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, no, I, I, I can look back on I, I remember driving around the Marini Loop in central Australia and the number of stars that are out there is 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 just phenomenal. But it's a really fading experience, as you're saying, for the vast majority of the world's population. So 80% of the world lives under light-polluted skies. And if you look at, you know, the United States and Europe and parts of Asia, then, um, you know, that rises to 99% and, and most of them can't even see the Milky Way, our, our very own home galaxy out there. 
Wow. And, and the lack of darkness is nice. Is that harmful to our health? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, these creation gems, God didn't make a mistake with his original design. Darkness at night is, is absolutely important to our health. And there's a specific hormone that the body produces called melatonin. We're going to focus a little bit on that. And it's known as the hormone of darkness. <laughs> there's this little gland, a pine cone shaped gland in the center of the brain known as the pineal gland. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of ancient cultures focused on this and they thought maybe that's where the soul was in the body. Um, some cultures called it the, the third eye and gave it great spiritual significance. Um, but interestingly, it, it is an eye of sorts because it does receive light signals um, from our real eyes um, in through some of the nuclei in the brain and then and then back to that. And it switches on and off this melatonin production depending on the light. So is it all light that blocks melatonin synthesis or is it just some kinds of light? Because I've heard that blue light is the worst. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. It's it's light of a certain spectrum and it's that blue light spectrum that's, that is the worst that switches off melatonin production. And again, if we think back historically, you know, we all sat around fires and, and that light was yellow and the incandescent bulbs also widely used, um, you know, when I was a kid and, and for the last um, hundred years or so, um, also had had that more yellow light. But today, the LEDs, the fluorescent light, the computers, smartphones, tablet screens, etc., they all emit the blue light that specifically um, switches off melatonin. And, and do you know what? I feel like so many people, their evening routine has become, like once they get into bed, the last thing they do before they switch off the light and go to sleep is go for a bit of a scroll on, a, on some sort of a device. Um, I feel like that's just become the standard, you know, bedtime procedure. Oh, yeah. And, and that's just the worst thing that you could really right? do, isn't it? So what, yeah. does a, what does a lack of melatonin do to the body? Like why is this important? Yeah, well, people firstly just really focused on it as its critical role in the sleep-wake cycles, and and that's that's incredibly important. Too little melatonin can lead to sleep problems, and then sleep problems lead to daytime fatigue, brain fog, headaches. You know, and yeah, we, we've all been there mm-hmm. um, in a depressed mood. Um, and sleep is also what allows our brain to detoxify itself and get rid of all its waste. Um, during our sleep, we have this specialised system that melatonin's part of that flushes out all the dirty fluid and molecules from inside our brain and, and keeps it clean and healthy. So over time, if our brains aren't cleaned out properly at night while we sleep, I imagine they can get clogged up with rubbish and can that result in like long-term damage? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, and melatonin has a role not only in improving our sleep and caring for our brains, but that sleep-wake cycle that we're just talking about also has a whole lot of other functions like regulating our body temperature, our blood pressure, when we feel hungry, the hormones we produce, our blood sugar as well. So the first bonus of this health gem is, is really multifactorial um, with this sleep-wake um, regulation and, and all the benefits that that results in. Um, but there's much more than that. Um, melatonin is also recognised as a powerful antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. And as scientists study melatonin, they've found that it 
um, has this strong free radical scavenging properties, protecting the cells from from free radical damage. Could you? Um, I just want to know a little bit more. Like, like for example, what is oxidative damage? Yeah, well, uh, it's it's sort of in the, in the name. We need oxygen to survive, and we use it to fuel the body's energy making processes. It's a bit similar to the way a car needs oxygen, um, but oxygen and the chemical compounds that it produces in the process are highly reactive and, and very damaging to the body tissues. In particular, the mitochondria. Um, and they're the little um, powerhouses or engines of the cell. They're the ones that take in that oxygen and, and use it. Um, but in that process, they generate these highly reactive species. And if God had not designed special free radical scavengers, the antioxidants, to mop up um, those those free radicals, then um, the, the mitochondria would da- get damaged, the cells would sort of implode on themselves, there's a fantastic paper, actually, that's entitled Melatonin Combats the Molecular Terrorism at the Mitochondrial Level. And I can just imagine the terrorism there inside of the cell and melatonin actually helping helping that out. Yeah. I like how you said mopping up the bad guys. That sounds good. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I have heard that oxidative damage is linked to cancer. So is there any evidence that um, then that melatonin may protect against against cancer? Yeah, no, that's that that's true as as well, um, and so there's accumulating evidence that melatonin is protective against cancer formation. Um, it also helps if there are cancerous cells there, the body to trigger those cells to die, and it can also prevent the cancerous cells from proliferating and reducing the spread of cancer. And just like um, the damage from inflammation, the immune system is is key. Um, to preventing cancer, um, as well as foreign invaders like viruses and bacteria. Um, Here's an interesting anecdote for our listeners. The immune benefits of melatonin were first postulated way back in 1926 when this crazy scientist um, fed kittens for two years with the pineal gland. And remember, the pineal gland's the gland that produces the melatonin. Mm -hmm. So it took that pineal gland extract from young bulls and fed it to the kittens and found that it increased the resistance to infection. Um, So there you go. I don't think we're trying to suggest that our listeners try to source pineal glands from young bulls. (laughs) No, no. But that provided the first clues that melatonin was important for immune functioning. Not only are there receptors for melatonin on many of the immune cells, but recent studies also indicate that, in fact, it can act directly against the the virus. Um, For example, a study just released showed that melatonin had a potent inhibitory effect on the replication of Japanese encephalitis virus. As doctors, we often wonder, you know, we see some people, they get a subclinical infection, and others become seriously ill or even die. And, we, you know, you wonder why that why that's the case. Sometimes it may be due to factors outside our control, 
but a lack of darkness and melatonin production is just one of the protections that God has alerted mm. us to in that Genesis account. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And like other health gems that <clears throat> we've discussed here on Faith of Him, they're not there's no nasty side effects and we all work together in concert basically to keep our bodies healthy and our minds happy. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. There's no warnings with God's prescriptions mm. and only multiple benefits. We could talk about a lot um, There's with melatonin, there's heart health, blood sugar, cholesterol, etc. But I thought just to finish off, we, we would give some practical tips mm-hmm. for our listeners. Okay. Yeah. So I think the first is to consider setting yourself a digital curfew. Mm. Um, and we've talked about the blue emitting screens before bed being, you know, one of the worst things we can do. And you're right, we all do fall in this trap. Um, but perhaps, you know, particularly with our children, we can think very carefully about it. And instead of watching screens, we can spend family time reading a book, playing games, you know, or just chatting about the day and hanging out together. Which is great to, to build relationships as well. It seems like the good old days when families used to sit around a fire of an evening and sew and knit and read and chat together. It seems like we, we need to go back there, really. We do, yeah, yeah. And following on from that, um, the second tip is to keep the bedroom dark. And so things like good quality curtains um, and looking around and seeing what light-emitting devices might be in your bedroom and, and getting rid of them. Um, the, the third tip is healthy light, but I think, you know, that deserves a whole talk, so I won't touch mm-hmm. on that today. Um, our diet's also important, and I, I didn't go into this before, but melatonin is made from tryptophan, um, which is converted into the happy hormone you may have heard of, serotonin, mm-hmm. and then it goes on to melatonin. Really complex chemical pathways um, and so our diet's important. The last tip is to avoid caffeine, and coffee suppresses melatonin um, in a big way. And actually, actually, um, an interesting study showed that drinking three cups of coffee per day will actually shrink our pineal gland. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so last tip, avoid, avoid coffee. Well, thank you so much for that creation, Health Gem. Uh, may the hormone of darkness give us all sweet dreams and long life. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Justin. Next month, we'll continue our discovery series, Gems for Life from Creation Week. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.